0: This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. There are where were you when moments. A lot of times they are dictated by sports. I don't know. We haven't landed on a planet recently. Anyone who was around for the moon landing, you remember where you were. JFK assassination, you remember where you were. Sports sometimes will do it. Where were you when the Raptors won the NBA championship? You know where you were because you can remember it because it was June. Well, how about 26 years ago? Where were you when the Toronto Blue Jays won the 1993 World Series back-to-back champions and did it in incredibly dramatic fashion? It was game six instead of game seven. Joe Carter was at the plate. Ricky Henderson was on base. Mitch Williams, the wild thing, was pitching for the Philadelphia Phillies and was bothered by the fact that Ricky Henderson had been able to get to first base. Everybody's talked about that. And it allowed Joe Carter the opportunity to do what he did. And he hit a game-winning, World Series-winning, home run a man who was right there when it happened not just in the building but how about both in the booth and on the field is jerry howarth former blue jays broadcaster and we are thrilled and honored to have jerry howarth with us on london live jerry that image of joe carter and then tom cheeks call it is ingrained in just about everybody in this country
1: Well, it really does, Mike, and for a number of reasons. Um, Number one, uh, I did the post-game interviews at that time with Tom Cheek. I was down in the uh, dugout. And so after the pitch came in from Mitch Williams that Joe swung at and missed badly, and the count was like, I think, uh, one and two, I said to myself, okay, who am I going to interview after this game to set up game seven the next night for Pat Henkin to face the Phillies? And wouldn't you know it, on the very next pitch, Joe reaches down, hits one out of the ballpark, there's Bedlam, and my late partner who passed away October the 9th, 2005, it's hard to believe it's been more than 14 years, he had that iconic call, and I was so happy for Tom, and when he said, touch them all, Joe, you'll never hit a bigger home run in your life, he saw Joe jumping up and down on his way to first base, looking at the ball, wanted to make sure that it was going over the wall, And Tom wanted to make sure that he didn't miss first base, so it it was very appropriate the way it all unfolded. Uh, You don't want to have rehearsed calls. They all should be right there at the moment. You take it all in, and Tom did that beautifully.
0: Jerry, that game, you mentioned it, it, it was n- always in question because it, it was the Phillies who, who had the lead, the count was going against Joe Carter. What stands out in that particular game, even before you get to the Joe Carter at-bat?
1: Well, it's just the number of veterans on that team who had been there the year before and had won it all, and, and then they add Paul Molitor and they add Dave Stewart, But they had such a great uh, working nucleus. And when you look at the Hall of Famers on that team, and right away you look at Roberto Alomar, Ricky Henderson later went into the Hall of Fame. He was on that team as well, a a July acquisition by Pat Gillick. Pat Gillick's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Those were great players who were going to be determined to win this. Nothing was going to affect them. The score, the time of the game, uh, it didn't matter. They were all there together, and they were very deserved repeat winners And when you look at Hall of Famers on that team, a few I just mentioned, and near Hall of Famers, and another one is Jack Morris, who's now at Cooperstown as well, it was only appropriate that they would win that game and the series, and kudos to the Phillies because they were an unknown, and Jim Fergusi did a great job with that team just to get them there.
0: We're talking with Jerry Howarth on the anniversary of the Blue Jays winning their second consecutive World Series. That World Series had some crazy moments in the 15-14 game. What was it like to be there for that?
1: Well, that turned everything around, Mike. Uh, That was the key game in the entire series. I believe the Blue Jays trailed three times in that game and then came back to score four and five runs and then in the eighth inning went ahead with one of those five-run rallies and... It was just unbelievable to see that. And in the rain, and Dwayne Ward comes out, and he closes it down. And not to be overlooked either, Tom Henke was the closer in 92, but the setup man was Dwayne Ward, and many times in the eighth inning he would come on to get the 3, 4, and 5 hitters. Then he saved 45 games the next year, which is still a Blue Jays record. And then he finished that 15-14 to 14 game in the rain, as I mentioned. And Dwayne Ward, with uh, all the talent that they had, was really, for me, one of the most valuable players, if not the most valuable player, when it was all said and done.
0: Jerry, take us to the field. You mentioned Bedlam after the Joe Carter home run, but what do you remember? Who do you remember seeing, talking to? What did they say?
1: Well, what I just remembered, Mike, was the joy on everybody's faces. I was fortunate that I was right down there in the dugout, and and then I would come back up onto the field after Joe hit the home run, and, and just... I just stepped back. That's something I've always done in my career. Let the crowd come in, and I didn't want to take anything away from it. I just watched everybody smiling and glowing and so happy, and the joy that not only was on the field, but 50-plus thousand fans as well, taking it all in. It was just so beautiful to watch. And when you do all that, you get goosebumps, and uh, it's a moment I'll never forget.
0: As far as those players went, so many of them, as you mentioned, had been battle-tested the year before and learned how to win. How important was that for that whole run and, and kind of being the hunted as the Jays became as one of the best teams in baseball and then the best team in baseball?
1: Well, it's one thing to learn how to win and to uh, to always make that your focus, but really it gets down to for me, anyway, uh, the real talent is not on the field. It's among the general managers. And that's where Pat Gillick showed he's a Hall of Famer. He acquired players who not only knew how to win, but had the character that if behind 4 to nothing before they ever came to the plate, and I think of Jack Morris, they end up winning the game. And in the eighth inning, they're ahead 5-4, to four, and there's been a shutdown for seven and a half or eight innings. So it takes character. And when you acquire players, you don't look at just numbers. You look at heart. You look at the mindset. You look at determination. And Pat Gillick did that to, to the nth degree and deservedly in the Hall of Fame. So that didn't surprise me that that group right there, which he, Pat continued to add on, was part of a Blue Jays team that won more than uh, half their games. They had... 11 straight 500-plus seasons, and that was remarkable.
0: We're talking with Jerry Howarth about the 1993 Blue Jays World Series. When it was on this day, 26 years ago that it took place, baseball has become so much about numbers. Do you still believe there is that look from certain general managers that they want to see the determination, they want to see things heart? You can't necessarily put a number on?
1: Yes, and I can tell you one of the best in the game who came up through the Blue Jays system after starting in Montreal, is Alex Anthopoulos, who very honestly with me said, Jerry, I was one of those who started with numbers. And then I realized in the 2015 season, uh, as we went into that, he said uh, it was about character. And there were so many different things as opposed to numbers. And that's when he acquired in the offseason before that year Josh Donaldson. And then later had the great trades at the July 31st trade deadline and Troy Tulewiski coming in and David Price and so many others. Alex Anthopoulos, for me, unfairly, was let go by Rogers, and uh, he moved on to the Dodgers where they won three straight division titles, and he's been the general manager in Atlanta where he's won two straight division titles. And I'd love to see him come back here someday and finish his career because he has everything it takes to be a general manager when you're talking about people, not numbers.
0: Jerry, before we let you go, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well. I'm loving my retirement My wife and I have two sons, three grandsons. I go to batting practice, first game of every series. So the last two seasons I've been on the field 30, 35 times, visiting with the Blue Jays, the manager, the coaches, the members of the media, the other teams, radio and TV broadcasters. And I play duplicate bridge and uh, very competitively too. So, uh, Mike, thanks for asking, but I'm really doing very well in retirement.
0: That is great to hear. Jerry, we miss hearing your voice, but you gave us so many legendary times and such class throughout your career, so thank you for doing that, and enjoy the World Series as it unfolds.
1: I will. In fact, uh, people ask me, Jerry, who you're rooting for, and I tell them right away. The Washington Nationals, their manager Dave Martinez is a great friend, a former Blue Jay, and their catcher Jan Gomes, who broke in And the first Brazilian ever to play Major League Baseball when he was a Blue Jay. So those two great friends I'm rooting for. Go Nationals.
0: (laughs) Well said. Thanks,
1: Jerry. Uh, You're welcome, Mike. Thank you.
0: Jerry Howarth. Couldn't you just listen to him? Could we just have Jerry tell stats like that and tell stories like that for the rest of the day? Could we do that? You could listen to it. Glad to hear. He's doing very well. In retirement, and he is someone who was a part of so much in Blue Jays history, almost right from the beginning, and takes us back to 1993. Where were you when Joe Carter hit that home run? How big is that? That's huge when you look at the where were you when moments, because it was almost such a shocker. That was the thing about it you you didn't necessarily know it was coming. it wasn't hey, the Jays are up nine, nothing in the ninth inning that's always fun that's exciting, but to have that just come out of nowhere kapow and over the left field fence and interesting to hear Jerry 's call that the reason Tom Cheek had said touch them all, Joe, you'll never hit a bigger home run in your life was because Carter was jumping up and down so much and he didn't want him to miss a base. Could you imagine that? They go back and they look and even then, let's face it, you would have had the umpires watching very closely. Could you imagine they sent that back and said, no, 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 he missed second base or he missed first base? Really? That's not the way you want to have that finish up. Fortunately, it didn't. Maybe somehow Joe Carter was able to hear Tom Cheek say it, and he made sure. He touched all the bags. He touched home plate, and the Blue Jays were back-to-back World Series champions. Last night, the Toronto Raptors got to lead off the NBA schedule, home to the New Orleans Pelicans, And they won in overtime, and there was a celebration kind of from start to finish, even though New Orleans played pretty well. However, that celebration began long before the game did, and it began with the Raptors' ring ceremony, the unveiling of the championship banner, the first one ever in Raptors history. And Carl Toulouse was there. He's been there from the very beginning and joins us now. Carl, how much did you think back to the mid-90s and where it all began, or the early 90s, I guess, and where it all began?
2: Uh, it's It's been a tremendous experience and uh Yesterday was the start of my twenty uh, fifth twenty fifth season with the franchise. Uh, I thought about so many moments during the the ceremony. Uh, kudos in a tremendous way to the game operations people with the, the Raptors. That like they set the bar so high by that entire presentation was amazing from start to finish. And you're absolutely right with your intro. Um, it really was a full four-hour celebration. It was amazing. The the people were so engaged. Uh, It was exciting. It was thrilling. Uh, I was in awe. And uh, at points I could honestly say that I just sat there with my eyes as wide as they can be, uh, just admiring and enjoying the moment.
0: Now, there are games where you sit in certain chairs as part of game operations and statisticians, and you you've gotta you know you've gotta be bang on were you in one of those spots yesterday where when all that was over, you were off to work
2: i I was in the big boy chair last night, so I was in something called primary uh, so I was recording every event as it happened and uh it was a pretty High-paced game. Uh, again, when those West Coast teams come in, and I've spoke about this before when I've uh, talked to you about things, uh, the West Coast pace of things is really, really fast, and, and last night was a perfect example. There was just so much going on, and uh, a great basketball game uh, and with the, uh, the right result for the Toronto
0: fans. And like you say, four-hour celebration. Carl, everybody's talking about the rings. Can you give us your account of the first time you saw the ring?
2: Well, I saw the ring for the first time when they put the uh, the Larry O'Brien trophy down on the, uh, I'm not sure what you would call it, like a revolving type of table that they brought to uh, to midcourt court. And when they took the covering off of the rings, I'm like, wow. Like, that is one of the largest rings I've ever seen. And the sparkle, the glimmer, uh, everything was just next level.
0: It is the biggest ring that has ever been made for a championship team. Could you see that right away? Oh, absolutely. (laughs)
2: Absolutely. Like my, uh, my lacrosse ring that I have with, uh, with Western University for the field lacrosse, the, uh, the Kufla, uh, it really dwarfs it and my Kufla rings are, are pretty big.
0: <laughs> well, this uh, this is as big as it's ever been. We're talking with, and we like to call you London's own, Carl Toulouse, as we look back to last night and the Raptors championship and the ring ceremony. Okay, take us to the banner and and seeing that unfurled. What was the energy like in the building when the point went up to the rafters and that was unfurled?
2: Well, it, it was really... And I use this word a lot, engaging, because it, it's so fitting the way the fans across this nation have embraced this team. And when Kyle Lowry asked his teammates to join him and count, had the crowd count down with them from uh, five to one. And when that that uh, banner was there for everybody to see, and the pyrotechnics that were there, uh, the place went zerk and it was just it was wonderful what a wonderful sporting moment
0: was it a different kind of cheer from some of the cheers you would hear during the finals last year or even during the playoffs last year different energy or just that kind of that audible level that loud it
2: it was loud and it was just a lot of people that were excited for the moment um and as you just described I would say that yes, it was different. It was a cheer of celebration, a cheer of rejoice versus that constant cheering for the scoring and the action and and everything else that that happened in the playoff run.
0: We're talking with Carl Toulouse and we are talking about last night's Toronto Raptors Ring ceremony, banner unveiling ceremony, and now the start of the season. What were you hearing from people in and around the team? Because a lot of people keep saying, hey, you know what? This team's going to take some steps back. But you look and they picked up a big win last night in amongst all kinds of emotion. And there's a lot of talk that, no, this doesn't have to happen this way. How's the team itself feeling?
2: Uh, Exactly how you describe it. They are not stepping down. They are not stepping away they know that there were some moves in the off season that did not favor them, but they did pick up some, some, some nice players. And uh, you are going to see the same strength, hustle and muscle uh, of the Toronto Raptors that you saw last year. Uh, Are they going to miss Danny Green's perimeter shooting? Oh yeah. Are they going to miss Kawhi's leadership and that ability to take over a game? Absolutely. But there's different key factors, and take into account that the team played uh, a significant number of games without him in the lineup.
0: Before we close out, just got an email, this one coming in from Danny, asking, does Carl get his own ring?
2: <laughs> I I actually do. Uh, I get mine at the start of November. Uh, my entire crew will be rewarded uh, with, with our own rings, and... Uh, uh, I can tell you that uh, back in August, I received this email from Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment Security. And the uh, the first line is, Dear Carl, what is your ring size? And uh, I can honestly say that I accidentally dropped my phone.
0: <laughs> How amazing was that? So you had no idea when you opened that email that that's what it would be about. You probably get emails from Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment all the time.
2: I do. I actually thought it was the start of the uh annual security and certification check that I have to go through every year. So it was it was really funny. Uh I wouldn't use the word funny. It was uh one of those uh jaw dropping moments that you go, Oh my god, this is really happening.
0: Yeah. So what do you do next? Do you go to a jewelry store and say, Hey, can you size me up? Well,
2: uh, it was uh uh, I'll give a little shout out, but uh, the first thing I did that day is I just walked over to the gold jewelers over at Hyde Park in Oxford and, and I asked nicely if uh, they would size me up for a, uh, for a ring and they said, well, what kind of ring are you getting? And I said, well, it's, it's going to be a sports championship ring. I didn't disclose any information until they started asking me specific questions and then I pulled out my, uh, my employee card Uh, and credential for the Raptors, and they're like, oh, you're getting one of those.
0: (laughs) Wow. Well, you're getting one of those, Carl. uh, I look forward to seeing a picture of that when you do get one of those. Congratulations. You've been there, like we said, from the very beginning. You've seen a lot of the uh, the lows before the highs, and now you get to be a true part of the highest heights. So congratulations. Enjoy every second of this season as well. Uh,
2: Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me on your show. Have a great day. You take care.
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Carl Toulouse, who is part of the game operations for the Toronto Raptors in statistics and in making sure that the NBA gets all of the numbers that it needs and the actions throughout the game. When, when you go on, if you happen to ever see kind of the written play-by-play of a game, some of that is Carl. And he has been with the Raptors going all the way back to when it got going. And now he will get his own championship ring. And he's also done a lot of work here in London. We like to call him London's own. We're going to keep doing that. Minority government, we've got it. We talked about it yesterday, but we have a chance to go behind the scenes a little bit, getting some thoughts from St. Thomas Mayor Joe Preston, who has been a federal MP. And we talked to him earlier about the fact that he's been on a couple of sides of election results. Uh, He's also been a candidate this past election. He was an observer. And we talked about how all of that, and, and really maybe those two specific sides, compare
3: yeah, I was uh, in a, a minority government both in opposition for the when Paul Martin was prime minister and then uh, two minority governments under uh, Stephen Harper as prime minister. You, th- there's a different activity to being a, a federal politician in a minority situation. Um, you must um, be a friendly guy and get along with people. And I think it's, it taught me that that side of politics had a greater value than what we saw through this whole campaign where it was, you know, you know, telling everybody how bad everybody was. Look, at, you've got to find the good things that the NDP want to do and see if you can put it in legislation. If you're Justin Trudeau, you've got to find some things that will satisfy the the block. Even though they're a separatist uh, party, they, they, there are things that they also still want for this country, as long as it includes Quebec. Um, you've got to you've got to take a little water with your wine to use that and. And I, I'm sorry, I didn't really see that in the prime minister's speech last night, saying, okay, I'm open to working. It's, you know, I, we're going to see this. Uh, um, and, and truly, the leader of the, the Conservative Party, Andrew Scheer, has to do the same thing. He has to say, I've got to come back. I've got to move towards one of my friends. Who's my friend today, and what can I offer them so that collectively we can get something done good for Canada? You know, Mike, the uh, Three hundred eight, 338 men and women go to Ottawa for altruistic reasons. They're all trying to make Canada a better place. There's nobody there that's trying to do anything uh, wrong. They, they have different reasons why or different philosophies of how. But you know, when you right come, down, come right down to it, it, they'll all work hard to make Canada better given the chance. The minority government may help us pull back from the cliff of how bad everybody can be.
0: Is it one of those things where we should almost cheer for minority governments, maybe not every time, but every once in a while, like you say, to have that pullback, to have that checks and balance?
3: Yeah, look, I, I also served in a majority government, which was also a much more special thing. You really got things done at a much more rapid pace. But I think you're right, that every so often we've got to have the the handcuffs, if you will or the or the uh, camaraderie part of a minority government that makes people work together and listen to what the other fellow is saying rather than just saying he 's bad and i don 't like their mother and whatever else you you might want to say about him look okay, i didn 't you know I made a lot of great friends um, there because you you have to find out why does this person have this a way of thinking about our country and 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 how can I satisfy some of that? Can we each come halfway to a solution? Yeah minority government once in a while is a pretty good thing.
0: We're talking with St. Thomas Mayor Joe Preston and kind of looking at the landscape and getting a little behind-the-scenes thought of that landscape. And uh, there are so many times when the public just believes politicians go to work thinking, you know what, what are we going to screw up for the public today? And we've talked about that before, how that doesn't happen. When you're having those conversations between parties, how much perspective can you gain from somebody else's to saying, wait a minute, you know what, that's... That's not a bad idea. Can you let yourself admit that to them in a situation like this to get something done?
3: Yes, and and you have to allow yourself to do it. You know, sometimes you go, "Well, what's he being sneaky about? What does she really want? Why is she offering this?" Uh, Joe Fontana and I were talking about that last night. We, we were from two different parties, and we we went to war whenever there was an election. But in between time, uh, we'd often find ourselves in the same pub and, and talk about, about London and how we could make uh, London and, and Elgin a better place. And, and, and you know, funny enough, occasionally we came up with a good idea. As long as someone wrote it down, we could do it the next day. You know, Very nice. It, it is about making friends so that, but if you make enemies, you're not going to hear the conversation. I mean, if you're just that mad at the person, it doesn't matter that what they're trying to sell you or what they're trying to say to you. So I always started out with a handshake and a smile and said, well, how can we work together? We found out at the end of the day we couldn't, then okay, I'll go. It is about working together um, for the people that sent you there.
0: Finally, Mayor Preston, the one thing a minority government does give is maybe a little bit of instability, and you've outlined ways that that can happen but what makes for an unstable minority government what should we be watching for that would indicate hey keep some time open in 2021 right
3: well and, and that's it look at the average minority government in Canada lasts uh, about 18 months uh, some a little less some a little more i expect this one will be about that too um, so you have to be careful you're not fully in election mode all the time Because you're not going to get anything done. You're going to be being abrasive. And so you've got to be friendly while you gain, right? The other thing that usually happens is the minority party, the party um, that supports um, the governing party most, tends to pay a price after a minority situation. And so you have to make sure you're making good decisions, not just for your party, but for the whole of the country. So you'll be recognized afterwards as having been an honest broker rather than Supporting a bad regime, and you know, of course, uh, in our gotcha politics, those will be the things that will be pointed out. I
0: guess one last thing, and that is your dealings with the federal government. Being mayor, we have Karen Vecchio reelected in your old post in Elgin Middlesex, London. How do you see that playing out in terms of how that helps your current position?
3: Well, as we come to the first, the end of the first year of my term as mayor. Um, It's been quite convenient that I do know people. It's not an absolute, but but I've been friendly with all parties, and so it hasn't been, uh, you know, certainly with the Ontario government and the federal government, I think in a minority situation it will be better for the municipalities. I think Mayor Holder would agree with me in London that that having a minority government usually means people are trying harder to satisfy other levels of government, like the municipal government. We're faced with some real housing problems right now. We'd like the federal government to be helping us with that, and I think that will probably help. Um, You mentioned Karen, and I can't do anything but smile after uh, uh, seeing her win her second term. She's an incredible member of Parliament in elgin Middlesex London, and will continue to be so. And, And I'd like to say everybody who put their name on a ballot, that's a hard thing to do. Um, and, and thank you for doing it. It's a, it. You make our country greater by doing it.
0: Mayor Preston, thank you so much for the time today. All the best. Thank you. St. Thomas Mayor Joe Preston taking us behind the scenes of the importance of being friends in a minority government, having to work together, and you would think this is the right way for governments to go. This is the right way to have it. Have a minority government, have a little bit more accountability, have to do some wheeling, some dealing. For whatever reason, it doesn't work that way. I mean, overall, we are lucky to live in a democracy, but do we have problems in the way that we govern? Yeah, we have problems in partisanship. If we could get rid of partisanship somehow, if we could do that, I really believe we would get a lot more effective governance. But I don't know how you do it, really. It's it's something that any country struggles with. And so in this case, we've got some things that, that need to be worked out still in terms of how the government will operate, but they're going to need friends. And it was interesting to hear Mayor Preston use the word friends as often as he did. It becomes a real key to have friends on the other side. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.